You may be seated. If you have your Bible today, we can come back to Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 6, or the text for today, the little short text is printed on page 10 in your bulletin. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. And Father, we ask for your blessing now as we hear this. Work in us, we pray, for Jesus' sake and in his good name. Amen. Paul's letter to the Ephesians really helps me as a Christian and as a pastor because in a way that is uh, unique to, among his letters, Paul in this letter really connects what's going on in Ephesus, you know, the earthly lives of God's people. He connects that very directly to what Jesus is doing as king in the heavenly places. He really brings heaven and earth together in a very direct way, And he shows us that our gritty, messy, seemingly very ordinary earthly lives, they are a display of Jesus' kingly rule over rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Those spiritual powers that were subjected to our Lord when he sat down at the Father's right hand, Jesus displays his rule over those rulers and authorities in the earthly lives of God's people down here on earth. And he, he gets a little more specific in the second half of the letter he, he, to show us what that means. He says, as you and I put on the new life, the new ways of this new self that Jesus has given us, that is putting on the armaments of spiritual warfare. And we are actually, in putting on that new life day by day that Jesus has given to us, we are actually wrestling with those rulers and authorities over whom Jesus reigns. We are wrestling against their life-destroying influence here on earth. Very powerful stuff. Have you guys felt the wrestling this week? I dare say you have. Well, if you're paying attention, you have. And this is strong medicine, what Paul does. It's strong medicine against this very flattened, kind of two-dimensional way of looking at our lives that feels very natural to us. You know, it's hard to remember that heaven is real and that spiritual realm is real. And, you know, especially in an age when there's just so many distractions from God and from his among-us kingdom, it's, this is very helpful. Well, one earthly realm where Jesus' kingly rule takes shape, Paul tells us in this text, a realm in which not only Jesus' rule takes shape, but in that we are wrestling with these spiritual rulers and authorities, it's the parent-child relations, parents and children. That's one place where Jesus' reign is expressed and where we are really wrestling with spiritual, real spiritual forces of evil. Now, some of you immediately are going to check out because you are either not a parent, a biological parent, or you're not in an active season of parenting. You'd be like, well, this isn't for me. I'm going to sit and scroll my Bible app for a few minutes. I want to encourage you to not do that because I assume all of you have come from parents, I think. And you may actually still be relating with them, even if you're full grown. But even if you're not relating with your parents at all, perhaps they've passed on, you are at least living with the results of somebody's parenting, for good or ill. And there will be some things here to think about for you. But I like, I like to go a little further. Please don't be 
such a typical 21st century individualist, you don't think there's something here for you because in the body of Jesus Christ, every one of us is involved in raising the next generation of God's people, not just biological parents. And I would even go so far as to say some of us who are not biological parents may be more influential in that work than even biological parents. And so I want to begin today by talking for a moment or two about the poles, P-O-L-E-S, the poles of parenting. What is, I'm going to start in verse 4. What's beautiful about Paul's instruction to fathers there in verse 4 is that he, you can see he threads between two poles that, that distort healthy parenting. And you don't have to be a Christian, by the way, to see this, how these poles could distort parenting. I also, by the way, should say, I feel like I'm stealing a little bit from Luke Trobor's Bible school class in the next few minutes, and I don't know that I am, Luke, but if I say something I don't adequately attribute, it's not on purpose, you can give me the plagiarism talk later, and I will submissively receive that. But the one pole of parenting is what I'll call the romantic pole. And there's a softer version of this and a harder version of this. So on, on the romantic pole, the softer version is just, you know, kids are so wonderful, I can't wait to have children, and look how cute and cuddly they are, and it's going to be so wonderful to raise them, and people just get, you know, all fired up and warm fuzzies, and it's, you know, it's absolutely true. Kids are awesome, hilarious and awesome, but this softer romantic view does, of course, get tempered a bit over time as all of a sudden you realize that also there are challenges because growth is challenging, and you at some point discover that your children have real, sometimes quite unpleasant frailties. And guess what? So do you. And you discover that your children sin. And guess what? So do you. And so there's this kind of mellowing of this, yay, kids. You know, I think we actually need to say in the body of Christ, for some Christians, parenting certain children in certain seasons of life is actually agonizing. And as much as I'd want, you know, in, in our day, which our society hates children, I really want to lean into, let's have children, let's love children, let's enjoy children, and I want to say a lot about that. It's also important to acknowledge the other side. There are parents who feel like they are being literally crucified and raising certain children at certain seasons of life. It can be brutal. And that can temper this softer romanticism. There is a harder version of this romantic pull, and it's just, let them be. They're wonderful. Everything that comes out of this child should be affirmed and celebrated, and we should get behind it, and we should leave them absolutely free, quote-unquote, free, from any constraints on who they authentically choose for themselves to be. You know, just follow your heart, son, daughter. I, will, I swear, if I hear that again at a graduation. You ever watch a parent say to their child, follow your heart, and you sit there and you think, that seems like a terrible idea. Now, in biblical terms, the softer version of this romantic pull sees a very great truth, and that truth is that your child is God's creation, a marvel, a handiwork of God. And if you're going to be really biblical, your child is not just God's creature, your child is a saint. Your child is a Christ one. Paul says in Ephesians 1.1, he's writing to the saints in Ephesus. Well, guess who those saints include? The little people and the teenagers and all the way through the age. They're all Jesus people. And the romantic version, the softer version, sees the truth. This child is a creation of God and a child of God and someone that Jesus died for, and we love them that way. The harder version of romanticism denies a great truth. And that great truth is that our children are creatures and they are called to grow toward what God made them to be, not simply what they want to be. 
and they are sinners who need to repent. And we can't forget that as we are loving on and enjoying and being grateful for what God has given, which is the, strong, the strength of the romantic pole. Well, there is another pole. I will call this pole the, the rigorous, rigorous pole of parenting. And th- there's a softer version of this that aims to push the growth. You know, the kind of softer version of this rigorous way of parenting, it, we see the child's created potential and we go for it, man. All in. Let's make this happen. And there's a harder version also of this rigorous pull, which isn't just seeking to push the growth. We're going to fix the frailties, fix the frailties, and we're going to squash the sin. And a lot of people who've been raised in rigorous religious homes under rigorous Christian parents or otherwise religious parents, they, they bear lifelong scars from the fact that in this household, any heartfelt, well-pleased, you're my beloved child in whom I am well-pleased, any heartfelt well-pleased for these children was always on the other side of performance. And let's be honest, in most cases, it never came because you were never good enough. And the fruit of rigorism is very often resentment. Resentment for the parents because my kids don't measure up. Resentment for the kids because we never measure up. Now, in biblical terms, there's a great truth here as well, even as it was on the romantic pole. And that great truth is that your child is created by God and called by God to be holy. H-O-L-Y, holy. That's true. And growth takes effort. That's true. And the battle with sin is real, and that is true. And the rigorous version of parenting sees that. And so there is an appropriate, as Paul says in verse 4, training and instruction discipline and instruction. And the rigorous Paul understands that, but I'd like you to notice something very important in verse 4. Paul says to parents, raise your children, bring them up in the discipline and instruction what? I'm just astonished at how often this gets missed. The instruction, the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bring your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord to whom your children belongs. belong. Your children belong to the Lord. They're his. They're not yours. They're his. And the Lord loves your child. So you need to handle them with care. And your heart toward these children needs to reflect Jesus' heart towards his saints. That's what it means to bring them up in the nurture and discipline of this Lord who loves them. And my heart toward them needs to reflect his heart at every point in my parenting. Jesus, as Lord, does not bully his saints. He does not goad his people. He does not nag his people. He does not micromanage his people. He does not stifle his people. He does not escalate conflict with his people. And so the training and instruction of the Lord needs to have none of that in it. Because he loves these children. We are to see and delight in God's creative genius in these children. And we are to respond to their sin, which will be very real and very painful at times. We are to respond to their sin as Jesus does, as the Lord does, with grace because he is merciful, with peace because he is Lord, with patience and kindness because love is patient and kind. That's, those are the poles of parenting. Now briefly, I'd like to say something, having looked at the poles of parenting, about the purpose of parenting, the purpose of parenting. Notice what Paul says to children. Heavy word, he says, obey. And that means we are going to have to talk for a moment about authority. There are a lot of children, including, dare I say, a lot of Christian children in the 21st century who do not understand that their parents have authority, 
because their parents don't understand that they have authority or even know what that means. And so let me give you a definition of authority that for us to think about for a moment. I, I'm getting this largely from Victor Lee Austin's fine work on the subject, but he, I, I, this is my definition, working from his work. D authority is a calling to lead others to greater freedom in doing good. That's authority. It is a calling to lead others to greater fruitfulness, greater freedom in doing good. Now, the exercise of authority can be competent or incompetent. Just because you have a calling to lead and to do what I just said, to lead others to greater freedom in doing good, that calling is one thing. You can be incompetent in exercising that authority. You can be effective or ineffective in exercising it. A call to lead is one thing. The real work of authority is to exercise authority in a way that produces what authority is meant to produce, which is greater and greater freedom in doing good. That's the goal. That's the purpose. That's what God gives it to us for. Now, notice a few things about this. There is no such thing as self-appointed authority. Authority is a calling. You are called to lead, even if it's just recognition of your gifts by your community. Like when we say to Jessica or Lou or Chris, lead us in worship. We just recognize they're better at music than certainly I am, and so we ask them to kind of set the pace for us and lead us into greater freedom in singing well and worshiping well. That is a kind of authority. It's not like an official title or anything crazy. It's just, but it's an act of being called to lead others to greater freedom in doing good. That is authority. You should take the lead here because you're gifted. Something else to notice is that exercising authority does involve leading. Leading in ways that can range from very soft, you know, kind of invitation and persuasion, that's one way of exercising authority, over to somewhat firmer versions of, now we're going to set some boundaries, we're going to establish some rules. But it involves leading in these various ways. But thirdly, to notice, the goal of authority at every point, and if this is not the goal, authority will be abused. It is to promote the greater freedom of those I am leading to do good. It is the goal is to strengthen the hearts and the heads and the hands of these people to be more fruitful, to, be, to flourish more, to be freer to do good because now they are ready. I would even say that the ultimate goal of authority is to pass on authority, is to recognize you're mortal. And as you lead others to greater freedom in doing good, at some point you can say, now you're ready to lead in doing good. And you, the, the, the torch is yours, carry the light. Well, parents are called by God who gave you your children. He calls you to bring up your children, to bring them up. That is authority. The issue is not whether you have authority. The issue is not whether you are called to lead them to greater freedom and doing good. The only issue is whether you will exercise that authority and how you'll exercise that authority. And Paul says here we do that through discipline and instruction. And those two words together basically involve course corrections. You know, there are times to say, nope, not doing that not going there, you need to stop, and also the more positive side, which is kind of helping develop a constructive vision for what good life is and, and guidance and how to get there, and so it's kind of the, no, hold on, we're going to come back from that, you know, we're going to repent of that, and we're going to move in this direction because there is life over there, my son, my daughter, that's life down that road, let's figure out how to walk on this road together. Discipline and instruction, freeing them to do good. So, children, I want to talk to you for a minute. Y'all listening? Yes, Pastor Ben. 
you're under, if you're 21 or younger, tune in your ears for a minute. I want to talk to you guys. You did not choose your parents. God did. God gave them to you to bring you up from diapers to a point in life when you have a furnished mind, you have sound judgment, you have a good heart, you have skillful hands, you are ready both in your gifts and skills and also in your heart, your set, the set of your heart, you are ready to contribute, you are ready to give, ready to build. God gave them to you to bring you up and even when they do that badly, you spend any amount of time talking with my kids, they will tell you, I am not sometimes a good father at all. But even children, when your parents bring you up badly, God is training you. God is working even through their failures and sins. God is at work in you through your parents to fit you and to free you to do good, and my dear young saints, you are called by God to receive that work of God through your parents. Obey your parents in the Lord. Now this looks different at different stages. How many of you are seven years old or younger? Can you raise your hand? If you are seven years old, old or younger, raise your hand. I wanna to talk to you guys. At your stage, this is what this looks like. It means you must learn to obey your mom and dad. My wife had this fantastic little phrase she used when my kids were young to help them know what that means. You know what obedience is? Obedience means you do what you're told right away, all the way, cheerfully. It means when your mom and dad, kids, they say, do this, you do it right away. Not 30 minutes later, not when you feel like it, not when you get an attitude adjustment, you do it right away. And you do it all the way. If your mom says pick up your socks, you don't pick up one sock, you pick up two socks. Right away, all the way, and cheerfully, we, we had this thing we called the schlump in my household growing up. You ever seen the schlump? <clears throat> That's the schlump. That is disobedience. That is sin. Obedience means you do what you're told right away, all the way, and you do it cheerfully. And you have to learn how to do that because you know what? Your heart doesn't want to. My heart didn't want to. My heart still doesn't want to sometimes. But that's obedience. And if you will not obey your mom and dad that way, you will eventually not obey God that way. So you guys have kind of like the, the boot camp phase. Until you're about seven years old, man, you're just in that camp, learning how to do it right away, all the way, with a cheerful spirit. And parents, that's what you're working on. Now, how many of you are eight to 14? Ages eight to 14. Let me see your hands. All right, now I'm gonna talk to you guys. This is a little different. You still need to obey, but you gotta add something here. Now, you're in a season where it's time for you to start understanding. You need to start understanding why. Why do we do that? Why don't we do that? Why the yes here? Why the no there? Why do we believe that? Why do we think that? Remember one of my kids, and they're about 12 years old. Dad, I don't really know if I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. What, where do we get that from? Those are, you're, it's time to start finding your voice. Now, you still obey, but you're finding your voice. And what I mean is this. You're going to start asking your mom and dad a lot of questions, and you should. And you need, this is probably the way that you show, uh, you honor Jesus the most with your parents at this stage. You listen when they talk to you. You ask questions and you listen. Why, mom and dad? And you listen to the answers. And you go and you think about it. And if the answers don't make sense, you come back and you ask some more questions. And you listen and you're like soaking in from them. What, why? What's going on here? Because what is this season of life, when you're like 8 to 14, here's what's happening in you biologically. You are starting to sort out what you think 
I mean, it's all fine and well that mom and dad think what they think, but you need to figure out what you think. It's, this is time to do that and start figuring out what you feel. And it's perfectly normal and right that you start kind of sorting that out. And you have all these crazy things in your body called hormones, and they just, they, you know, they create these big, intense feelings you've never tried to manage before. And it's not, you know, you're just feeling all this intense stuff, and you have to learn how to express your thoughts and feelings and how to manage your thoughts and feelings. It's all normal. The fact that you feel crazy sometimes, you're not crazy, you're normal. The fact that your parents think you're crazy sometimes, you're not crazy, you're normal. But you have to start listening and sorting and learning to express and learning to receive. And parents, in this season, if you have never heard of something called the developing brain, you need to go today and talk to either LNG or Claudine and find out about the developing brain. Your kids' brains are turning from a child brain to an adult brain. There is wild stuff going on, which is why parenting at that stage feels wild, and you need to be real chill about that and not frustrate them at that tumultuous season of life. Now, those of you who are 15 to 21, how many of you in here are 15 to 21? I got a word for you. Now is time for you to start hearing and answering your own call. You're going to start hearing God's call to you to go out into this world and do good and to lead others in doing good. And I want to say something that is not very popular with teens today. Your parents' correction and direction, even when it's not particularly skillful, maybe not always even super wise, but their correction and direction in your life, it'll help you not pull into yourself or get ahead of yourself. And that's where you're following Jesus with your parents. Is that's good. You're going to work it out in that way, not pulling into yourself or getting ahead of yourself. And your parents will help you with that. You need to receive their help. Because what, I mean, what do I mean by pull into yourself? You're going to be tempted at times to shirk the call. You're going to be tempted, you know, in our world today, you're going to be tempted to be like, I don't necessarily want to hear the call to do good. I just want to have fun. I want to feel good. I want to do what works for me. I, I just want to pull into a self-indulgent, you know, kind of Peter Pan life, and I just don't want to respond to that call to go out and serve and do good. And, you know, your parents, their direction and correction will help you not just pull into yourself and become a self-absorbed brat, dare I say. And they'll also help you, not perfectly, but they will help you not get ahead of yourself. They will help you not, sometimes you want to shirk the call. Sometimes you want to shirk the training that you need to be fit for that call. You don't want to train. Biblically, real freedom, beloved, real freedom is being fit to rule. When you're fit, you're trained, you're ready, now you can rule, then you're free because you can do it. And you can do more and more of it because you're free, because you've been trained, because you're fit, because you have had someone helping you with that. It, it is so very natural to want to rule without fitness. Look, man, I want to bypass self-rule because I want to run and rule something else. You know, like Simba and the Lion King. I just can't wait to be king. And not to sound too much like Zazu, but if you will not be ruled, you cannot rule. Everyone wants to be the star athlete. Then you show up for training camp. And now you're in camp, and now you're just miserable because you're suffering, because you're training, because you're getting fit. And when you're done with that training camp, now you can go out in the field and you can play the game because you're free. You've been freed by that training, but you're not getting ahead of yourself. And the thing about this, look, this way of looking at freedom, you know, we look at re rebels. Rebels decide, I'm not going to train. I will not be trained. I'm just going to go, you know, do my thing. They look free. They look free. But the reality is re rebels they're too weak 
and they're too cowardly to humble themselves and to rule themselves and to receive training. Teens, can I say something to you? And you know I love you guys. Some of the issues with your mom and dad are because you are frustrated that they won't let you rule without responsibility. Sometimes that's what's going on. Sometimes your parents are being difficult and frustrating. Sometimes the problem is you're frustrated. They won't just let you go rule without responsibility. It is good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. But now, lastly, I just want to give a few things to parents because you kids are like, can you please put some heat to mom and dad now? Oh, yeah. I want to close with some practicalities in parenting. And I want to give you guys as parents three focus words, three focus words that haunt me in a good way. They all start with T. The first focus word, parents, is time. Discipline and instruction, training and instruction, it takes time in two senses. One sense is that you must invest time. You must invest time. That's been true in every era of the church. When Moses said to the children of Israel, talk of these things in God's law as you sit in your house, walk by the way, lie down, rise up. Man, it takes time. It's always taken time. But now, dear saints, in the 21st century, in 2023, I will just tell you as parents, if you do not firmly fence out times to spend with your children, to enjoy them, to listen to them, listen and listen some more to them, to discuss things with them, to argue with them, yes, to study with them, to worship with them. The machines will take over. They will take over. I am shocked at how this happens in my home, and I hate machines. The machines will take over if you don't invest time. If you're going to shut out all the other voices that are in the years of your children, you are going to have to be present and take time, no matter what that costs you, take time. Be with them as our Father in heaven is with us. But it takes time in another sense. It means you've got to give things time. Probably the number one lesson for me as a dad in nearly 20 years of doing this, give things time. I want to look at one episode and say, that's the whole movie. It's not. I want to look at a series of episodes. It's the whole movie, and I want to draw all these sweeping conclusions. No, it's not. These episodes, there's a big movie. This is a lifelong thing. Your relationship with your kids is a lifelong thing, and you just got to give things time. You're playing a long game. Don't get ahead of things. Don't try to force things. Give the Lord time to work. Give your kids' hearts time time to grow. Be patient with your children. Be patient with yourself as you struggle, and sometimes in parenting. And I would have to say related to this, at every stage of parenting, from the little people on up to the full-grown people in your house, I would say to us as Christian parents, in general, beloveds, less is more. Less is more. Some of the wisest parental counsel I've ever received is have just a few things and be consistent with those. Too much, too fast, too often. I want to tell some parents, you are running your mouth at your kids so much, I wouldn't listen to you. It frustrates children. Less is more. Give things time. You'll get back to that issue. One parent told us when we, our kids were young, if your kid, sometimes in the grocery store when your kid pitches an absolute hissy fit and is f- flailing on the floor and you want to like take them up and you know, wring their neck in the back seat of your car, the best thing to do is give the child the cookie. You'll get back to that attitude issue in another place. It's more appropriate. Be chilling. It's a long game. Time. Second thing, and the most important thing, if you hear nothing else, parents, that I say today, it's the word trust. Time, but now trust. There is a chamber of secrets in the core of your child. 
And in that chamber of secrets, that's where they think and they choose and they love and they imagine and they remember and they want and they feel. The Bible calls it the heart. Here is the number one goal of parenting. This is the lodestar. The number one goal, everything else is relative to this. The number one goal as a parent is that that sign, there's a sign on the door of that chamber that says, mom and dad welcome. Everything is after that. That in that chamber of secrets is a sign on the door that says mom and dad are welcome. That it, everything I do as a dad, that's what I'm after. I will give up anything else to get after that. That that chamber of secrets, I'm welcome there. And it has to be opened from their side. You do not batter it down and yell at them about you know, needing to submit to their parents. They must open the door of that chamber. I want them to open it because they want me there. That's the goal of parenting. They trust me. If you're not getting there, I don't care how well behaved your child is, your parenting is off. God seeks the heart. So must we. And there are certain keys that can make it easier for the child to open that door. One is just pleasure. Your kids need to know you enjoy them. Look, I'm uptight. I'm cranky. I'm driven. I have to work on this. I'm not chill. But my children need to feel I'm thankful that God put them in my life. And it's good just to look at them sometimes and just be you know, struck all over again with fresh eyes. And just what an amazing thing it is that they're mine of all things. What, a, what an honor. And just they need to feel pleasure. Um, Jesus needed to hear from his Father in heaven, you're my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. That, not in a manipulative way. They need to feel that because it's right and it's good. Another key, listening. Listen, listen, listen some more. You are not after behaviors. You are after well-being within. We gotta listen when our kids speak, my kids tell me all the time that I'm frustrating them, I gotta listen. And a third key, and it's so very important, repentance. Parents, be ruthlessly honest about your sin. If your children have not heard in the last week you say these words, I sinned against you, please forgive me, there's probably something off in your parenting. Or you're just doing a, some kind of job. Your children will not repent of their sins if they don't see you aggressively repenting of your sins. Be open and honest. I am, I've told my kids in the middle of a fight, I am sinning against you right now before the living God. That's what's going on here. They need to hear that because that helps them know I am serious about holiness for myself as well as for them and it makes them a whole lot more receptive when I'm after holiness in them. That said, we're after trust, time, trust, a third word and I'll be done. The third word is Testing. You will be tested as a parent. Your children will test you. And discipline and instruction of the Lord with all of, its, with all of its love, it does require the wisdom to know when you need to cross your child. You must cross your children or you cannot raise them. If you don't cross your children, then you're not disciplining them. You're not instructing them. There's a time to cross a child. Say, nope, can't. Nope, that's not going to happen. Nope, that's sin. Nope, we're going a different direction. That, that, it takes wisdom to know when to do that. You don't do that a lot, but it has to happen sometimes, and it takes the grace to do that graciously, not harshly, not pompously, and it takes the courage to weather the fact that your popularity ratings are going to drop. One of the most gut-punch things I've ever read was from David Peterson when he said, these words, when a father says of his son, I just want him to be happy. It means he has given up hope 
that his son, his boy, will be a man. If you look at your kids and all you think is, I just want them to be happy, then you've given up any hope that they will ever be adults. They will not be happy if they're being trained well. Not all the time. But there will be a peace in them because they know they're loved and a sense of the goodness of the training because there's a goal and it's to be free in doing good. It's not just you imposing your wishes and preference and rules on them. But if you, will, if you will not cross them, you don't love them. So time, trust, and testing. I hope that through this little series as we've talked through these things, you've come to see that your household is part of a war, and it really, truly is. That's not just being melodramatic. It's part of a war. But it's a war to your saints that Jesus has won, and he loves you all, you and your children, and so you will share in his victory as you put on the ways of the new self. Let's help each other with that in the days to come. Father, bless these things to our hearts, we pray, as you father us through your blessed Son in whom we pray. Amen.